0: As we get started this morning, I have to tell you a little story. There's a little backstory to this passage. On February 4th, 2001, some of you weren't born then, but some of you were here. I was preaching from John 8, and as I ran up the stairs before the service, I felt this little pain in my back, and then it became very quickly a very big pain, and I was flat on my back in my office, like, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. And I ended up in the hospital with a kidney stone. And so on also very short notice, Vince Hinders preached from Acts 242. So Vince, thank you for doing that then. And now, now we gotta do it with a little more preparation this morning. So and my back feels I might I feel great. Like I feel really good, but I'm I'm hydrating. So all right, so Acts 242 to 47. This is, for some who've uh, been around for a while, this has been just a favorite passage about the church. And um, if it's familiar territory, may God make it fresh. And if it's kind of new ground, may God open your eyes and thrill you with the the, the vision for the church that's here. Kathy Graham is going to read the passage for us this morning.
1: They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kathy. Let's pray. Oh God, as we quiet our hearts now, from various distractions. We know that we are a temple made of living stones, and we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit. God, let the ministry of the gospel surge forth in extraordinary power in us and through us. Revive us, we pray. Let the glory of the church capture our imaginations, thrill our hearts, stir our affections and change our lives for the nations, for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. The ring must be destroyed. The ring must be destroyed. Some of you recognize that line from Elrond presiding over his council in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The evil ring must be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom in order to break the power of the evil ruler Sauron. And how could it be done? Well, it would take a team, a fellowship of the ring that would gather nine individuals remember who they were there were four hobbits and two men an elf a dwarf and one wizard named gandalf so they united around frodo as the ring bearer on a quest to destroy this ring and they became the fellowship of the ring the title of one of the books in the in the trilogy now, people still unite today around all kinds of things, maybe not quite as dramatic as destroying the ring, but people unite in all kinds of associations and fellowships and teams, don't we? Like, you might be a, a member of all, all kinds of different things, maybe the Braddock Road Youth Club or Costco or a homeowner's association or, you know, all kinds of different things that we join, associations that we participate in, that we, we sort of team up with. And so here we are this morning gathered together as a church. So I want to ask, what kind of association is the church? What kind of fellowship is the church? What makes the church different from other fellowships, teams, and associations, or is it? Is it just like other associations or memberships. You join Costco as long as it's convenient, and maybe you find something better some other time, and you leave and go somewhere else. Is that how it works with church? Are we just consumers finding the best deal for the time that helps us, and then we move on to somewhere else? The context of this passage is important, as all passages of scripture are. This occurs at the end of Acts chapter 2. At the beginning of Acts chapter 2, there's something enormously important that happens in the history of the world. This is a a fabulous and important moment when the long-promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit takes place. The promise of the Father finally occurs, and the believers are filled with the Spirit, they begin to praise God in languages that they don't know. And people in the city are hearing these uneducated Galileans praising God in their own languages, and they're saying, what's going on here? And so this crowd gathers, and Peter, the apostle, preaches this Pentecost Day sermon, and the people are caught by the preaching of the word and, and stirred in their hearts and they say, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, all of you, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they do. 3,000 people in one day turn to Christ. And they're baptized. Now what? What happens next? This is a really important question, isn't it? There are Countless Americans who have come to that same place, professed faith in Christ, and are now living out their lives. Many, many largely on their own, maybe with a Christian friend here or a sermon podcast listened to on the radio there. Others may attend churches where there might be good teaching, but where it's also easy to come and go and remain anonymous and disconnected from other believers. But I want you to see this morning what happens here in Acts chapter 2. These 3,000 new believers band together. They become a fellowship. They connect in persistent relationships and a new community is born. Their lives are changed, not just vertically in their relationship with God, but horizontally they come into a new committed community called church. Luke is telling us that the normal Christian life is lived out in church relationships, in a fellowship. What is the fellowship of the church? What kind of fellowship is the church? Church is a fellowship of the Spirit. That's what this passage says has for us this morning. Church is a fellowship of the Spirit. So so that being the case, what does it look like to be a faithful member? Title of our sermon today, Faithful Members. What does it look like to be a faithful member? Well, if you want to know what it looks like to be a faithful member of the church, Acts 2.42-47 isn't all that Scripture has to say, but man, is it a great starting point. So we're going to look at Acts 2.42 this morning. We're going to ask this question. What does it look like to be a faithful member of this fellowship of the Spirit called the church? And the first thing we're going to see is this. It looks like being devoted to four essential activities. I want you to look back at verse 42 with me, please. Verse 42. Sorry, I gave the projection the wrong verse number there. Get your eyes on verse 42, please. And please keep your Bibles open and activated while we go through the message because I want you to see the words God is speaking to us here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here are four essential activities in this fellowship of the Spirit called church. The first is the apostles' teaching. So the first thing Luke points us to for these new believers in their new community is the importance of the teaching. Jesus' apostles were committed to teaching. They saw it as a priority. If you read in chapter 6, you'll see that when there were some problems in the congregation and with the the, the, the meal ministry for the widows, the, the, the apostles said, look, We have other priorities, and this is important, so we need a group of people to take care of that so that we can stay focused on the ministry of the word and prayer. So the apostles were committed to this teaching, and this is exactly what Jesus had promised was going to happen. Back in chapter 15 of John's gospel, Jesus promises the disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes... The Spirit's going to bear witness to those disciples about Jesus so they could bear witness about Jesus to others. That's what they're doing here. That's what they did as they wrote their gospels and that apostolic teaching has been passed down to us as scripture. Jesus promised that the Spirit would guide them into all truth by glorifying him, by glorifying Christ. Now, that didn't make sense to them at the time, like so much didn't make sense. We saw last week, the foot washing didn't make sense. The cross didn't make sense. When did it start to make sense? It started to make sense when the Spirit came. They needed the ministry of the Spirit. Jesus had been doing all these Bible studies with them. But the pieces didn't fall into place in their minds until Pentecost when the Spirit came. And wow, did it start to make sense. So Peter gets up and on the day of Pentecost, he explains what's happening by looking back to the prophet Joel to explain the ministry of the Spirit and looking back to Psalm 16 to explain Jesus' death and resurrection. Acts 2 This passage we're looking at here, this is a time of unprecedented revival. But I want you to see that in the midst of an unprecedented revival, the primary thing isn't the miracles or the amazing experiences, but the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done as revealed in his life, death, and resurrection preserved for us in scripture. Our second core value is is that scripture is our only authoritative standard for all we think, say, and do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Second, they devoted themselves to fellowship. This word may be familiar to you. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means partnership. It means close relationship. It means this give and take, sharing kind of relationship. So think about this. 3,000 people previously disconnected now all of a sudden are getting to one another and they're in koinonia. They're in shared lives. They're in fellowship with one another. That, that was, think about, like, can you imagine if all, one day there's 120 and the next day there's 3,120? Like, that would take some work to, like, that's a lot of name tags to order. That, that's a lot of organizing of who's gonna, if they're meeting in people's houses, well, who lives where and who, who's in over here and who's got room there but there's too many people here and and but that's what they're doing they're sharing their lives together that was the immediate reaction to not only following Jesus but being filled with the spirit and I wonder was it easier for them to walk in community with one another than it is now and I don't really think it it is or it was fact Jesus tells a story maybe you remember it in Luke 14 about a great banquet representing the the welcoming banquet of the kingdom of God and people were too busy with what I just got married my family's too busy I bought some ox I got this field I got to go take a look just like today people are busy busy with family Busy with business, busy with all kinds of things going on. There were distractions and hurdles in their lives then just like there are in our lives now, but they found a way to come together in fellowship and we'll, we'll soak in that more a little bit later this morning. Third it says they were breaking bread. Do you get the, the gist here? Food was a theme in this church. I wanna be a part of that. Like food and I love food together with other Christians. This breaking of bread is probably a a reference to meals that they were sharing together, perhaps in the temple, but certainly in their homes. These became known as love feasts. And remember, there weren't any church buildings in the day. And so church was typically in the home. These big meetings that we see here in Jerusalem were were sort of an anomaly in, 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 in the early church. So remember that as they got together for their worship services, they'd have this meal together and then they'd have the Lord's Supper together. They were eating together and remembering Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return. And I want you to notice the order. They were baptized first, and then they had communion, the Lord's Supper, following that. That's the order of the sacraments. Baptism is a sacrament of initiation into the kingdom, and the Lord's Supper is a sacrament of continuation in the kingdom. So you don't want to get going with the Lord's Supper before you get going with baptism. They were breaking bread sharing meals, and sharing the Lord's Supper together on a regular basis. Next, the prayers. The prayers. It's plural. The prayers. Now, we're not sure exactly what those prayers were. These were all Jewish believers, begun to follow Christ as their Messiah. We don't know exactly what prayer looked like in the synagogue services of the day, but they were a praying people. If you go back and read chapter 1, they were devoted to prayer before Pentecost. They were praying about Jesus, uh, Judas's replacement for the 12th apostle. Chapter three, Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer. Chapter four, there's this big prayer meeting and they're able to praise and thank God for Peter and John being released from prison. And so prayer just becomes a part of the fabric of the life of the church. They were devoted to the prayers. I love that we have devoted prayers in our congregation. Thank you to those who prayed before the service this morning, there's a prayer meeting from 9.45 to 10.15 every Sunday morning. Thank you for those who have prayed on the prayer team. Thank you particularly as the one preaching this morning to those who pray on Saturday mornings. There's a Saturday morning prayer meeting that's been going on for decades. Frank Eckelbarger got it started more than three decades ago, and it's still going. And they pray every morning for all kinds of needs in the church, but they always pray for whoever's preaching. And so I save these little cards that I get that they give me each week when they pray for me as I'm the preacher and they they give those to whomever is preaching. And I can't tell you how strengthening and encouraging it is to me to know that this meeting is being lifted up in prayer. Thank God for the prayers. Isn't this a lovely verse? They devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Not a new set of rules to grudgingly obey, but hearts made new. They give themselves joyfully to these things. Look at verse 44. They were devoted to radical generosity. Look at verse 44. I know I'm skipping verse 43. We'll come back in a moment. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. And had all things in common, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What we have in this little paragraph here, this is a sketch. It's a, it's a summary of this new community. We don't have any names in this little paragraph. We don't have any specific events. We have these recurring events. It's like a video that just loops through and plays over and over the whole group and their ongoing activities. And and part of what's going on here is this radical sharing of resources with one another. Sometimes people read this part and assume that this means they gave up having private property. And you can... Understand why, on the face of it, why you might think this—it almost looks like sort of an early form of communism, right? Perhaps they all sold everything and and did they sort of move in together like sort of an early monastic community? But we always want to test our understanding of Scripture through context. And if we keep reading in the book of Acts, we find that in chapter 4, Barnabas, one of the members of the church, sells one of his fields, sells a field that he has, and gives the money to the apostles. So he still has private property in chapter 4. In chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of land, and the problem in the sale of the land isn't that they keep some of the money for themselves, but they lie about it. So clearly we'll see that private property continues in the life of this congregation. So this isn't sort of, okay, everybody from now on, you sell everything and we'll have one common bank account. That's not exactly what's going on here. But what it is, is it's a group of people who are saying, we're going to take care of one another. Can you see the power of the Holy Spirit? Like when when people start to say, we're going to meet the needs of other people through repurposing some of our stuff. That's not how we normally live. That's not normal human behavior. These people were widening the circle of care beyond just their family to include strangers who are now part of a new family. This is intentional sacrifice. It's resulting from a new way of thinking about their stuff that comes from the gospel. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. That's the gospel. Now, that changes our attachment to our things, and we begin to realize those aren't my things, those are his things, and I'm a steward of those things, so God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? Instead of it's all mine, we pray, God, it's all yours, now what? What am I supposed to do with it? So picture yourself, you're in this church here in Jerusalem. You come to this group meeting at maybe Matthias and Sarah's house. And you get to know one another. And you discover, oh, one of the families is having a hard time making ends meet. And there's a widow in the group with very little income. And so you decide, led by the Spirit, you're going to sell that field that you've been hanging on to and you're going to give them the money. And then just ponder what that would be like. Each time when you walk to the market, you walk by that little piece of land, what do you think? Think, God, thank you for letting me be part of what you're doing. You gave that to me so that I could give it to somebody else. You blessed me to make me a blessing. You could have just given it to them, but I get to be part of the joy of giving because it's better to give than it is to receive. Isn't it wonderful how God transforms our hearts so that we find joy in giving away stuff that he's entrusted to us to preserve, to give to somebody else. I have a friend who several times has given away cars. And as he gives them to saints, I wonder what it's like for him when he gets to see the saints driving around in that car knowing, I got to be part of what God was doing in meeting that person's need. Isn't that cool? That's kingdom living, kingdom thinking. So Coming to this church 22 years ago, I have seen this kind of thing going on over and over and over for decades. It's been a wonderful part of the heritage of this church. Let's keep it up. Let's grow. Let's press into. So I just want to encourage you Just ask this simple question. Ask God this question. God, what have you given me that's intended for someone else? What have you given me that's intended for someone else? And isn't this amazing? Like, who does this? Like, do people in your homeowners association do this? Like, is this part of life on your soccer team? Like, this is so unusual. Our membership commitment gets at this in point number five, where it says, we will strive to practice the humility, love, and sacrificial attitude of Christ by pursuing relationships with one another, considering the needs of others as more important than our own will pursue relationships with one another and consider the needs of others. Those things go together. You can't meet the needs if you don't have the relationships. You won't want to meet the needs if you don't have the spirit working in you through the gospel, but we do have those things. And so we have the opportunity to be a part of a congregation devoted to radical generosity. That's what we see here. Third, look at verse 46. They devoted to gathering together. What does it look like to be a faithful church member? It it looks like being devoted to gathering together. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Day by day, temple, homes, glad and generous hearts. I love the opening words to this day by day daily rhythms. What are the daily rhythms, the routines of your life? I love to start my day with a cup of Tata Gold tea, a little milk in it. Meet with God with that cup of tea there. Sometime during the day, I got to know what's going on with the gnats. probably several times during the day, not the Bugs, the baseball team. Chocolate is definitely going to be in there multiple times, particularly after lunch and dinner. Daily rhythms, daily routines, work, school, maybe you've got your own, maybe it's walking the dog or doing your social media or whatever it might be. So here's a question. Where does church fit into that day by day rhythm of life? Is it sort of an option if there's time? Is it one of the things that's a given and everything else fits around it? Like, How does it work in the way life works for you? When I became a Christian, I, I knew I'd encountered Jesus. And I started hanging around with some other Christians. In fact, I went off to college and I got involved in a wonderful uh, uh, campus ministry, InterVarsity. Inter and um, I had to attend church every once in a while. I knew a few people who did that. But over time, I became close friends with a a brother in Christ who was really involved in his church, and he just kept encouraging me, Come get involved in church and come get involved in church. And I'd go from time to time. I'd fall asleep a lot of times because I'd eat this big, gigantic breakfast at the dorm cafeteria, and then I'd go fall asleep, and it wasn't a good situation. And so I, I was kind of dangling my feet in the water. And at some point, about halfway through my time in college, I, by the grace of God, decided to really get involved in Arcata First Baptist Church, this sweet little fellowship in the edge of the campus where I was going to school. And and I wanna tell you, I fell in love. I fell in love with the church. My love for the church doesn't have anything to do with being a pastor. Maybe my love for the church has something to do with my becoming a pastor, I, I don't know. But I want you to know from 1978, 79, I've been in a, in a love affair with God's church. and Oh, how I love the church. I love Sundays. I love seeing you. I'm so glad we can hug each other and be around one another again, be in person. It's be, it became a day-by-day part of the rhythm of my life in college, and it's been that way ever since. I love the church. I think something happened in me like was happening in these people here. Day by day, they were attending in the temple together. You know, in Jerusalem, there was this gigantic temple, Herod's temple. Solomon's portico, Solomon's porch, don't have actual photographs of that first century temple, but here's sort of a reconstruction, and you can see there's these gigantic courtyards there. 3,000 people could fit there, so they could have all gotten together there on any given day. They were also not only all together in this large group, but they were together breaking bread in their homes. So I want you to hear this. From the beginning, believers have gathered together in a large group and in home fellowship. Small groups, literally home groups. And that's where all this teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer is going on. And we're following the pattern Luke gives us when we encourage everyone to gather on the Lord's Day as well as in smaller groups. Back to our membership commitment again. Membership commitment number four. By the way, if you're a member and haven't signed this, this is what you're gonna sign real soon, I hope, right? Um, We commit to regularly gather with the church for corporate worship, to participate in gospel community. That's that small group fellowship to attend member meetings and serve and show mercy to those inside and outside of the church. In Mexico, there's this lovely phrase, mi casa tu casa. Do you know that? My house, your house. There's this expression of hospitality that's just part of the culture and we want to live that out in Our hospitality one to another as people come here. We want people who are here for the first time to feel welcomed. We've put on so many wonderful events and meals here. And after the service, there's going to be an opportunity to sign up to serve in different ways. And hospitality is uh, one of those ways. But that hospitality is often expressed at home too, isn't it? We have these community groups. We desire every member in our church. We desire every member in our church. We desire every single member in our church to be connected in transformational community with one or two or three other people. We, we desire that for every member of our church where they can know others and be known by others. That community group isn't the only way to do that, but it's the fastest track to this kind of community. And community group leaders, thank you for the hospitality and the way that you serve in that. We have these small group fellowships in a variety of ways and we have this wonderful Lord's Day gathering. Devoted to gathering means all of us being all in. I was dangling my feet on the edges of the pool. I'm so glad I jumped in. If you're dangling your feet, I just want to encourage you to respond to the word of God and the work of the spirit and jump in to the fellowship of the spirit called the church for some maybe here or maybe at home coming out of COVID is challenging, isn't it? We've been disconnected from people. Is it safe to come out yet? Maybe you feel like one of those cicadas that's been in the ground for 17 years. Like I'm not sure if I'm kind of used to being down here. Like is it safe to come out? Like Maybe there's a bird waiting for me. Like, I don't know. We're grateful for Zoom, grateful for live streams. I understand that for many, it is health-wise safe to come out. For others, n- not yet, but I think for most soon. And I just want to en- encourage, let the word of God work in us. Let's get back together as soon as we can. I want to just read to you one sentence that has stuck with me as I've read through this book we gave out the beginning of May, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. He lived through the Nazi era in Germany and fellowship was hard for Christians. They had to establish an underground seminary and so they had, had this time of actually being in community with people in that, that hidden seminary for a time and that's what this book is flowing out of. And I want you just to hear this one sentence. He says, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Could there be more timely words coming out of COVID than this? Hear this again. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. So it has been with me, and I don't think I've ever felt that as as viscerally as I did in this last year when we were so separated. And the reality is some of us may have found it now more comfortable to watch the service at home, but the Spirit is giving us a vision for the blessing of gather together in person. So let's gather together as much as we can, as frequently as we can, and as soon as we're able If you want to get a vision for this, join Kenneth and me. We're going to spend five Sunday mornings, nine o'clock before the service, going through this book together, starting in July. There'll be details coming about that. Finally, devoted to being witnesses, devoted to being witnesses. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. I think that's souls in the church and souls in the city as well. Awe came upon every soul and many signs, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then the last part of verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Jesus had told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And this was the promise, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's a promise for us, and it's still true. We'll talk more about this next week as Justin preaches on faithful mission, but I wanna just close telling you a story about how this works in real life. When our son Peter turned two, he was coming out of the hospital having had a bone marrow transplant for leukemia. He had, well, a suppressed immune system would be an overstatement. He didn't really have an immune system. And so he had to be in a sterile environment in our apartment. Less than I didn't have the bandwidth to sterilize the apartment the way it needed to be sterilized. We were sort of overwhelmed with just trying to take care of Peter. And so our home group, our friends from church, came and wiped down every wall and ceiling and surface to make the place safe for Peter to come home. My sister had so kindly come and she was staying with us, helping out with... Peter taking shifts in the hospital and just serving us. And that example of that church loving Leslie and Mark had a profound effect on her and was one of the ways that God worked in her heart to draw her to become a Christian. Someone was added to the kingdom through the witness of the see how they love one another church. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of God's church. What kind of fellowship is the church? It's a fellowship of the spirit. You get the vibe. Wouldn't you have loved to be a part of this church? Joyful, grateful, generous, knowing they've been blessed so they could be a blessing. Don't you want to be part of something like that? Oh, I love the church. I love this church. I love how much this church resonates with what I read here. How much I experience what's in this passage in our shared life together and yet I know there's more to this too. Luke has given us a pattern for what the church can be, a short video from a time of revival when the Spirit has come in extraordinary power and I say oh Lord do it again. Many of us came to faith in the 70s and 80s during a time of revival. We're not in a time of revival right now. We can't control revivals. Those are sovereignly given. But oh, we can pray. And oh, we can be faithful church members whether we're living in a time of revival or a time of declension. Let us be people who are devoted to Christ, devoted to his church, devoted to one another and to the mission that this enables us to carry out Together, Let us pray, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it here. Let this pattern of church life inspire us and draw others to come to faith in Christ. The Shiree community group the other night, Jeff Sawyer told me that he asked the question, what's what's missing or could be better in our congregation here? And, And one answer that was given was that little word, awe. Every soul. In awe, awe came upon them. Lord, do it again. Fill us with awe. Let us seek the filling of the Spirit to be a faithful church, full of faithful church members, devoted to Christ, devoted to one another, devoted to our mission.